Helo a chroeso i bodlediad yr Academy Genedlaethol ar gyfer arweinyddiaeth a ddysgol yng Nghymru. Podlediad sy'n rhannu materion ac arferion arweinyddiaeth allweddol ar draws y sector addysg yma yng Nghymru ac yn rhyngwladol. Hello and welcome to the podcast from the National Academy for Educational Leadership in Wales, a podcast that shares key leadership issues and practices across the education sector here in Wales and internationally. I'm Richard Montero and I'm an Academy Associate with the Leadership Academy. This episode features Dr Beatrix Pont, Senior Policy Analyst with the OECD. Beatrix has worked on education policy reforms and school leadership internationally throughout her career and has worked with countries such as Greece, Japan, Mexico, Norway, Sweden and Wales. This podcast is from Series 3 of the Leadership Unlocked webinars. It's really a pleasure for me to be with all of you today. But uh, just to start off, the focus of my presentation is based on my experience at the OECD and beyond on working with many different countries for more than 20 years. But um, more recently, I started a new project that is focused on helping countries implement reforms, education policy reforms, because we found that there's a very large gap between the intended policies and what really happens on the ground in schools. And uh, that is something that, you know, there's a lot of money uh, that goes into reforms. And if nothing happens, then there is a waste of, of, of funding. So it's quite important to cover this territory. And as part of this work, I've been engaged with Wales since um, 2014. And I've been in, involved on and off with your government, with a number of your schools, with different local authorities, with teachers, with students, with parents, uh, with consortia, um, since 2014, uh, engaged in what we named actually at a certain point, the reform journey, the Welsh reform journey. And it started a while ago when, um, you know, we were invited to do a review of, of your education system and give some recommendations. And, and we found that there were still policies were ad hoc and there was no vision yet on where Wales wanted to go. So we did recommend to, to refine a vision for what Wales wanted to become rather than using PISA as a main indicator for where Wales should go. And, and uh, there's been a lot of progress we've seen uh, since with you know, much more cohesion in your policies, a, a very focused approach to reform and uh, a co-construction process to reform that we found very, very uh, valuable and that we actually are um, referring to in our international work. And we've gone through, you know, a new deal, teaching tomorrow's teachers, teacher standards, schools as learning organizations that is now that, that we worked with you to develop and then Education in Wales, our national mission, which launched the new curriculum for Wales that is now uh, with you for implementation in the coming years. So this is the background um, to my work with you and to my external outsider's knowledge of the Welsh education system. And I'll give you a brief overview of, of what we are recently completed work with Wales. So about the curriculum reform. Why transform the curriculum at this point in time? 
uh, well, Wales has been performing, and I use PISA here because that is the only comparative data that we have at this point, and it is only for 15-year-olds, but it puts, you know, it puts um, Wales in perspective, and Wales is a performer that is around the average in terms of uh, quality, and it has high equity in relation to other OECD countries, and uh, you are now in the process of transforming a curriculum for learners to thrive in the modern society. Now, the OECD has been working together with many different countries to develop thinking behind what should be learning in the future. And uh, most of the trends go towards the idea that you have actually put in your new curriculum and then for purposes, uh, which is really a core area of knowledge, which is very important. And I cannot stop stressing how important it is to continue knowledge, but to also add, you know, reference to competencies, skills, attitudes, and values. And this is in a way what you've shaped in your new, well, not so new, but in your four purposes of ambitious, capable learners, enterprising, creative contributors, ethical informed citizens, and healthy and confident individuals in the new curriculum. Now, what we also see quite positively is that there is a lot of coherence in this curriculum because you've thought about all the policies that need to go around um, supporting the development of this curriculum. And that is leadership, which is inspirational leaders. And to tell you the truth, often leaders are the last to be invested in in many countries. And we're quite pleased to see that there is a focus on leadership here and your academy actually is testament to that and uh, your investment in uh, driving change. Then excellence, equity and well-being, assessment, evaluation and accountability and the teacher workforce. So all of these around the new curriculum. Now, this is more of a comparative um, perspective of um, school readiness for change. And uh, we, you know, where are we now? Where are you now? You are in the middle of turmoil actually trying to hold the boat steady for all your learners for uh, the parents for your teachers it is a difficult moment and actually what we see is that are were schools ready for, for change during COVID well actually many of them were and this was demonstrated by how quickly many schools moved to an online environment much quicker than often many governments were able to move to provide the guidelines that uh, schools needed around them. And so this data shows just in terms of where learners, were they ready? They had computers or not? Was there a growth mindset? And were schools readily ready to accept new ideas? According to Thales, yes. Uh, were teachers ready to integrate digital devices in instructions. More than half of schools across OECD countries were. Uh, what about parents as well? And then teachers here, that were teachers having significant responsibility in relation to school curriculum? This is where there's less um, capacity. And this is where Wales is actually moving towards giving more responsibility for uh, curriculum to teachers. Now, so Wales is ready for change and has been ready for change with a number of policies and much progress has been made in the design of uh, the CFE, this curriculum for Wales, CFW, 
and the, the four purposes. And there's been a development of the six areas of learning and experience. There is a vision uh, uh, that requires still a shared understanding of what it really entails in practice in schools. Some schools have embodied that already, but across across Wales, it's quite important that this happens. Um, the school Introducing the school-level curriculum design is challenging and may have effects on equity, so this is something to consider. And we think it's quite important that teachers and practitioners, they need more time, you need more time, and professional learning to be ready for having CFE implemented in all your schools. And at the same time, strategic resource planning will be needed. So we do recommend, and we recommended this already in October, that it's important to the government to develop a shared understanding of what the vision for CFE looks like in practice, and that there is support for the realization of the curriculum across all schools in Wales. And from what we've seen with the new roles and responsibilities, this looks like there is a big role for consortia to really develop the support and the materials and the professional learning capacity for schools. Um, we also have seen the process of stakeholder engagement has been very important in Wales. Co-construction has generated trust and stakeholder engagement and more transparency. There's been so many people involved in the new in the co-construction of the new curriculum to test and fine-tune. So the Welsh government, but the consortia, local authorities, the Ossetian Estin, uh, the new National Academy and especially the schools and the, the pioneer schools and uh, school governors. So there's been a lot of involvement. Now, with so much involvement comes a very challenging aspect of clarity. Who does what? So the shared understanding of who needs to be doing what and when is still to be considered. And at the same time, trust and collaboration will require clear communication for teachers and students and parents and school governors, because if they don't understand what, what curriculum for Wales is, they won't support it. And so, and all of this will require a continued investment uh, for all schools in the process. Now, how, so we recommend that the co-construction process actually focus on next steps. So it is schools now who have the responsibility in the coming years to implement the curriculum. And it is quite important that they receive the, all the support. Uh, so you and Wales has been investing in setting the foundations for a professionally led system, moving from a more managerial system before to one that is much more based on trust and professionalism. And there's policy coherence around the curriculum. And you see the school as a learning organization, the school improvement infrastructure, standards, learning, leadership qualifications, more or less all moving in the right direction. But it is quite important to make sure that this is sustained, that this really doesn't deviate, doesn't, there's no new policies that change this, that start, you know, adding new pressures to all of you, the school leaders of Wales, who will then derail in the efforts of, of, of the new curriculum. Now, a number of schools still do not function as learning organizations. Uh, 
And the assessment and evaluation framework, it's quite important that it is really fit for purpose and is aligned to the new curriculum and to the needs of the Welsh school. So overall, we think it's quite important to consolidate policy coherence around schools. And this is something that we find. And why I'm raising it here is because you principals, you face having to make sense of all these numbers of reforms in schools. And in the end, do you have time? Do you have the capacity? Do you have the support? And so making, and often what we find is that, you know, school leaders have to moderate. They have to moderate what comes out, what comes into schools from the outside and decide which ones are best for their own schools. And so we think it's quite important to highlight this at the, to the policy makers to make sure that they understand that they can't just send policies and policies that there needs to be coherence rather than demands and coherence around the schools. Um, so overall, we think that there's been a, a, a plan for the CA curriculum for Wales that's been strategic and flexible. And it's been open to review. It's engaged so many of you uh, discussions, but it's important to have continuity uh, because lack of coherence could derail all of the efforts. And um, so we did recommend to revise the implementation strategy. And this has been done and presented in, uh, in January, or in, I think it's uh, the 27th of January. So these are our recommendations. And the, I wanted to give these to you as background because you are in the middle of all of this in addition to COVID. And so we understand that you're in a, in a challenging place because you have to make your schools, you know, you have to now adapt to COVID and then soon adapt or in, implement uh, or realize the, the curriculum for ways in your schools. So nothing will happen unless you take this on board. And, and this is at the heart. So things need to really be make sense to you. And I just wanted to give you some background on, on COVID. And so in relation to the role of leading, you have to lead the new curriculum. But at the same time, there's lessons from COVID that can be brought in um, in terms of how you lead in the future. And that is, you know, covid as, as I heard today, you're called in because uh, kids are coming back to school. And so you have to respond so quickly to all these demands or changes that are, you know, they're not the fault of the government. They are, you know, it's a, it's a world pandemic. And so how did, in, in the first wave, uh, country priorities actually focused on ensuring the continuity of academic learning of students, ensuring the integrity of assessment and providing professional support and advice to teachers and ensuring social development to the highest priority. But you can see also well-being of students and teachers and uh, to revise great transition policies. So there were a lot of concerns in terms of COVID, how to adapt to this uh, ongoing pandemic. And when people were asked to reflect on how challenging it was to implement, and many said that the, the, what were the main concerns were technological infrastructure, addressing students' emotional and uh, emotional health, 
and also having the right balance between digital and screen free, which is the same for us as well, and the availability of, of parents and guardians support for the learning at home to the highest priority. So you can see that there were a number of, of concerns um, that uh, everybody was worried about. But when you look at what, what you know, the change process itself, actually, um, you can see that uh, in the processes to shape education responses, people were satisfied more or less that everybody did all they could do to help and that people, it was felt that it was designed in a collaborative manner, including teachers. And more or less, it was well-planned and well-executed under the circumstances and communication was well-managed um, overall. So what happened when we look at it now from, you know, in retrospect, in what I call times of COVID uncertainty is, uh, you know, a focus on student learning and well-being. And it, there was intermittent school closures and quick shifts and reorganizations to maintain learning in school communities, introducing complementary remote approaches uh, for people to be able to continue learning um, there was a focus on education professionals and the adaptability of schools. And this was thanks to many of you, flexibility for constant adaptations and skills for new ways of teaching and interacting with students. There's been a review of accountability systems. Many systems cannot assess their students in the way they were doing this before. So they've had to review and um, and school and system evaluations have stopped in a number of systems. And there's been efforts to mitigate um, the inequalities that COVID has uh, resulted to in education. So this is just an overview of how countries, you know, now they are, there's a combination of countries fully online, whether more balanced or some fully delivering schooling fully um, in schools. So that's the majority. Most countries do, did not want to, you know, not go back to school, actually. They found that this is like the last bastion that, pe that countries want to close for different reasons, but especially for the importance of schooling for all of our children for the future. So countries have implemented a number of, of responses, and I'll leave this for you so you can look at it. They've been more ad hoc. But uh, actually, one of the, the positives is there's been a lot of unexpected consequences. And the first is, well, there's been the introduction of technologies and other innovative solutions. While we don't want to have fully online learning, we've tested out quickly. We've piloted so many different things in a very short time, you know, which would normally take years to even introduce and test. So we've had the opportunity to do this and to increase the autonomy of students to manage their own learning in many cases, to strengthen the involvement and cooperation of parents and to improve multi-sectorial coordination in education and health. Increased pedagogy, autonomy of teachers and a greater social societal interest in education that has made schools at the core of people wanting to keep them open. So it's quite important actually, uh, all of these developments. So overall, how does this fall into your, into your remits? Well, you can 
kind of distinguish who needs to be who needs to be in the system leadership, who needs to be leading what. So public policy at the national level in, in all of these areas of student learning and equalities in access, education professionals and adapted accountability systems. I'll just focus on schools. You know, if the government provides guidelines, guidelines for safe schooling, guidelines for education for, um, and provide the right data and resources and technology, uh, professional development networks and assessment alternatives, schools can prioritize school community, apply the guidelines to schools so they can be safe and, uh, and have the support of the government, deliver and transition between online and real, reach out to, to potentially disengaged students and their families, um, develop the capacity of practitioners and go engage student learning, which will be quite important for, for the system in the future if we're not able to assess at a national level. So all of this actually has taken time to adapt. And this is at the core of the message, actually, that I want to leave you with today. It's, should it be, you know, leading education responses to COVID has taken time to adapt, but it's been quite quick, actually. And, uh, you know, what we would want in the future is that uh, the process itself of adapting to the future is as important as the content. So finding the way to adapt, you know, finding a way that you can define the future that you want for your schools while allowing for responding quickly uh, to uncertainties, having always a plan B, having a committee that you can make decisions fast and that are reliable, that you can adapt as, as things happen, will save efforts and short-term anguish, I think, for you, for your schools, for your children, parents, is quite important. So the idea is, you know, rather than, rather than adapting, focus on leading education change in times of uncertainty. You know, COVID may go away, but who knows what will happen after COVID. We're not going back to normal. This has been a wake-up call, and we're seeing that this is not over. This is going to continue with us. So in a way, the processes that we set up to lead change at a short time are as important as the focus of what you're going to be doing. So my, my message to you is, is, I'm trying to move to the next slide, is really to think, you know, what process do you want to set up in the future? that will help you react quickly to uncertainty. And you, we have the model of schools as learning organization, which helps you think about this, but it's important that you build your processes in your schools so that you can respond to all of these crises which may happen in the future. You may have you know, um, environmental challenges that are going to happen. COVID may go away, but we may have something else. And this is more and more of a reality in terms of in times of uncertainty. So really for you, what's important is to set the school vision, the priorities, establish the conditions for teaching and learning to happen, but have always a plan on how things 
can evolve and how you can quickly adapt um, to continue delivering on this, but in different ways. And I think that that's quite important to, to, for you to really always keep this context, link to the context. Now it's been COVID, but what can happen in your community in terms of also technology or changes outside, you need to translate these into your school. And that's, that's becoming a much more important role than it used to be before. Before you were more administrators and now you are moderators of the context and you provide safety, you provide clarity to your school in times of uncertainty. So that role becomes a lot more important. And that's, I think it's important for you to learn how to, how to manage this. And COVID has provided you, you know, it's horrible, but it's given this time for you to pilot how to develop approaches to respond to change. So keep this in mind in the future while thinking about how to help your schools progress um, for, for improved student learning and well-being and the health of all your schools, because they have become, I think nobody wants to close schools now because they have become so important for our children that, you know, you've been put in a, in a more important place than before. And it's, it's, it's a good opportunity for you to show how you can handle this in the future. So I'll stop here now in my 30 minutes and uh, we'll be very happy to get your, your feedback and uh, an input to see whether you think that this can help you or how, what are the challenges for you uh, to move in this brave new world. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Beatrice. Oh, so interesting to listen to you this morning. We'll start straight away with some questions, Beatrice, if that's okay. I'm going to bring in, I can see Michelle in the questions. Can I ask Michelle Thomas to join us? Oh, hi, Sue. Hi, Beatrice. Hi, yes, I have got a question. Um, in reference to inequalities in access, um, we can hand out um, devices and we can give the internet access. However, the challenge is getting our families to use the resources. I wondered if you've got any examples of any countries where they have achieved excellent engagement of the majority of learners and any suggestions on how we can further improve. Thank you. So a number of countries have developed resources uh, for schools and training sources for teachers. Um, but I don't know how many have really, I actually cannot tell you this. I, I don't know. It's been very difficult for us to gather systematic information because it's all just in time. And we are now actually doing a survey to understand what has happened and how it's happening. I know that equity and what you're raising is actually one of the biggest concerns across uh, across OECD countries of being able to make sure that the more disadvantaged stay in school because they're abandoning because they it's not even the technology, but it's they just are already so disengaged that with this hurdle, they disengage even more. I mean, we have good software and good resources in Wales. You know, we've got Hub. So we've got all of the programs that we can use. The children know how to use it. We've given family devices. We've given family Internet connection. 
and yet they're, they're still not engaging. So I'd be really interested if you um, you come across any findings and conclusions that we can learn from. Thank okay. you ever so much, Beatrice. I, I will find it because we've written something, a policy brief on this, so I may try to see if I can send it along uh, and they can share it with you. Okay. Thanks, Michelle. Yes, I totally agree. It would be really interesting information, that, mm. uh, definitely. Right, moving on, uh, Beatrice, I know quite a few people, uh, questions have come through in different ways, but around um, uh, building a new accountability. Um, I'd like to bring Hugh in. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Beatrice. Uh, thanks for your presentation. Uh, really good. Uh, really interesting as well to see it from you know different countries' point of view. It's always good to do that. Um, as, as, as Sue says, coming from a secondary point of view, the the change in how we've kind of come about our results um, and, and hopefully looking forward, kind of moving towards greater understanding of the importance of teacher assessments at secondary and even integrity of them at some point, really. Um, what about the long-term changes you see in the system um, for accountability post-COVID? Well, I think um, COVID has, has uh, shown that there's more trust in teachers, although teachers may feel that that's not the case. There's been a lot more trust. It's put into the picture the difficult challenges that teachers have in schools to when parents see actually what how their kids are learning and how teachers are engaging even online. They start realizing that that's not an easy job and uh, there's more trust in teachers. And with the new, you know, with the cancellation of, of tests, there's a, a shift towards student-based, uh, teacher-based assessments and using only that as the main way of gauging um, student progress. So this is, I think there's going to be more weight in, in teacher assessments, uh, whether these are at the end of the year or, or using the report cards or using other approaches, that is going, that shift I think will happen and maybe You've been pioneering, actually, these new student uh, literacy um, tests, national tests that students are using, and that may become something as well. So using technology for testing. So there could be a reduction, a more balanced approach to student assessment that builds on teacher assessment, student tests along the year, rather than focusing on this one end of the year high stakes student tests. I can give you the example of um, Ireland who's battling to keep the leaving certificate to no avail. And they were even thinking about vaccinating first as a priority, the upper secondary education students so they could go take the test. Rather than canceling the test, they were you know, prioritizing them instead of the elderly so that they could take the test of the leaving cert. They do not want to cancel it at all. Scotland has canceled it. I think a number of, of, of education systems have canceled it. And they're finding alternatives. And this was already in the making before. It's a very old fashioned way of measuring progress of what you know and what you can repeat in a paper in the 21st century. So there was already, even you were, you know, thinking about how to assess the curriculum for Wales in a different way. And COVID has just put it smack in the middle. And so there's, I think there's going to be changes in terms of the balance, whether there's external tests that will maybe wait less, you will be given greater space 
to assess and uh, and I think more trust. But at the same time, this may mean that there needs to be a greater clarity of what you're assessing and what are the national standards in the world. Thank you, Beatrice. Thanks, Hugh. Thanks for that question. As I say, Beatrice, lots of questions are coming in about accountability. And I think that's a real key area for us at the moment. I think what's important is to remember that, you know, leaders are going to need that time and space going forward. Alwyn, I know you've got a question related to the, the new curriculum. Yeah, Thank you for this morning, Beatrix. Um, I've just got a question regarding, obviously, um, attainment levels have dipped over, you know, the period since March. Um, we do have like the accelerated gr- learning grants to support that, but I know that will need to continue. Um, we've recently had a lot of training on change management and things like that, but supported by our consortium. However, when we look at the change management cycle, when we see that change, there's usually a dip within that cycle. And I'm just wondering, post-COVID and, you know, looking into 2022 and future, how we address this dip in the future when we already have a dip in attainment? Well, I mean, the dip in attainment is in regards to what you measure. So if you continue measuring the old things and not measure the new ones, this may influence greatly what what is the dip. But if, so if in a way successful, what is your first um, successful learners or if you will keep, what values will you keep there? And for me, it's quite important that knowledge is not forgotten or replaced by competencies. It's actually to be enriched by other ways of learning and other types of skills. But at the core of this is actually the learning and the, the, the knowledge that needs to embed everything that, uh, that kids do. And so developing their critical thinking and their ability to use and interpret knowledge is at the heart of what you will be doing. So I don't think principle, I mean, there may be a dip because you need to adapt to new ways of teaching and learning, maybe temporarily, but it may happen in a semester. And I think they've given you quite some time to prepare, to plan, to, to feel, to feel the, the curriculum, to to adapt to it, that it may, you know, and they're also stopping the assessment so that you can test it. So I think they're putting in place the the environment for you to be able to feel confident with it enough that it wouldn't really lead to this. But I think I I would never stop under, you know, highlighting the role of knowledge in all of this and that, that you should not, fear that you, you your schools are going to have to teach something else it's actually something that ad- adapts what you're doing in a, in a new way but knowledge is still underpinning all of this i think that if you can maintain some indicators of of what is progress but then add new ones that can help you understand how you're progressing to that and if you could pilot that earlier as well that could help you get confident in in that space as well. So it's true that what you measure is what you will do. And if the assessment system doesn't change, you won't change either. 
but it's good to have time to to pilot it to to get ready for it to to understand it so that you can adapt but it shouldn't be i mean you shouldn't focus everything on the assessment system you are the teachers and the professionals and you're leading them to teach the best they can and if, if their students are well taught and well prepared they will do well in the exams no matter what they are thanks Beatrice so still lots more questions with regards to live learning is there evidence as to the benefits for children who attend settings where the home language is different to that of school so this is quite interesting for us obviously in Wales I don't think there's been enough time to develop the you know, research and uh, responses on, on this. I mean, we have um, studies from before on the use of, of, uh, of home language in, in learning more broadly and, and giving students the confidence to, to learn by using the, their own language. But I, I don't know if in terms of live learning... Hi, Beatrice. Um, in terms of what you've said about re-engaging uh, our, our students, I think in the United Kingdom, if I'm right, OECD say that w- we have a, a long time of our teachers standing in front of the class compared with other countries. So our teachers are, I think it's about 23 hours or something like that, whereas in Japan it's perhaps eight. And uh, Andreas was talking about how teachers engaging in other activities outside of the classroom, mm-hmm. extracurricular activities and things like that, reduce behavioural issues and they perhaps engage children further in lifelong learning and independent learning. And I'm wondering, is this, what advice would you give to Welsh Government about, you know, I agree with you, what, what happens in the short and medium term quite likely develops into long-term mm-hmm. uh, practices. And I think we need to get this right where perhaps we're having an opportunity to re-engage our youngsters in a in a different way and perhaps go back, go away from this Victorian idea that to teach, you have to be in front of the class for 23 hours. Why don't we have schools seven days a week with some of it online and some of it face-to-face and some extracurricular forest school activities where we can really re-engage our children? What would your advice be to the Welsh Government on that and, and you know, other, other countries that do that? Yesterday, there was a report launched by the OECD on the, with PISA and TALIS data, where it was presented, actually, about successful practices for teaching and learning. And there was data on how a positive school environment can really improve the learning, the long-term, the long-term learning of students and their engagement, and that a positive environment contributes so much. And... Uh, I, I think that's it's very important to develop that environment. And it's actually principals who develop that environment. Now, there's countries have different number of hours in front of, um, of students. Japan has a much smaller number of hours, but they work the largest amount of hours. One of their core tasks is engaging in student extracurricular activities. They're mandated to do that. And it's, it's very positive because it develops a relationship with the students beyond. So they get to know their students in a different way and they're able to support them. Japan also, they, the students clean the classrooms. I did the review of Japan actually, and, and it is, but the teachers are burnt out 
and uh, they needed a lot more support and, and they were trying to reflect on what ways could they maintain this extracurricular link to the students that was so important, this school community link, while you know, not being so stressed and not having so many hours. And I think, as you say, with COVID, this issue of disengagement, which is quite important, why don't, you know, and how can you enhance the, the school as a learning environment as an, and as a community? And if you have a little bit more autonomy, I don't know if it's the Welsh government or because there's more and more autonomy for schools to do much more. I think COVID has actually given you so much more space, uh, the government, and it's become a different way of doing policy where the national government gives criteria, but you have a lot more freedom to deliver and more space for action. So it's true that uh, finding additional ways of engaging families and students to, to preserve the school community, the, not the school as a learning community, but the school as a social community, is, has become very important for COVID. And this is why many governments are insisting on keeping schools open. So you can, I, I think that's a proposal to enhance this side of the community, not only through learning, but through other ways, that will be great. I do think that the curriculum for Wales kind of gives you that flexibility, new learnings and experiences that you can teach them in different ways. So you could decide you're going to be making the curriculum. So you could decide that you'll have less hours and this will be kind of a three-day engagement of everybody going out and doing these experiences outside and coming back with a teacher as a buddy. I don't know. Could, as a principal, have that uh, capacity to, to develop this community in a different way? You mentioned the many positives of the COVID situation for many children. And and my daughter's next door. She's 16, but she's learning independently like a university student. I see, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, this is really positive for her in many ways. So in order to free teachers from standing in front of the class, maybe we could think really radically and have a model of a school that is open four days a week, but has a blended learning day on the fifth. And teachers can actually engage or do some, uh, you know, research work that may happen in the future this is what's going to happen in our work environments so it's it's same thing will happen in school it is actually exciting we've got to take some of the positives away um you know i think you said you a part of your uh presentation leadership is at the heart of change and i think that's absolutely the key really is that we you know we remember that and we i think it was um uh, professor stephen heppel um, recently, we engaged in, in a talk with us and he talked about how learning has escaped. And then what we've got to do is make sure it's not locked up again. It's not a question, really. It's more of a um, something I've observed by just listening um, this morning. Um, you talked about the boat right at the, at the beginning and saying we're all on, on a boat and it's a very rocky one at the moment. But um, there's been so much negativity in the press regarding teachers and the profession, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's really difficult time for teachers to get them to be positive and to get them to be. Um, but, you know, things you've said today, um, one of the things I was scribbling down here, something to tell my staff at the end of the week. Um, oh, it is the end of the week. Oh, well, but uh, next, next week. Um, 
things we've developed and you'd have never thought we would have developed them. You know, our technology has developed, you know, we're talking about Jamboards and Whiteboard V and all these type of things that we ne- we didn't speak about a year ago. Um, we're looking at independent learning in a different way. We're looking at the contact with parents in a different way. And thank you this morning for highlighting all of this, because sometimes with, with um, um, I sit in a lecture and I think, yeah, but that's what's, is that relevant to us today? And, you know, you've made us look and made us feel, yes, how are we moving on and what will we do? Um, one thing is really worrying me. You did talk about Japan and the burnt out teachers. Mm. Well, how can we look after our teachers um, at the moment? As um, I know there's a lot of we should look after ourselves as well. And that's really hard to do at the moment. But um, th- this burnt out teacher syndrome, you know, how can we put them first? I'm thinking you've made a lot of positive points today because I'm going to start with, oh, my gosh, do you realise what you've done in the last year? Oh, you know, you've been great. Um, Thanks. But how can we make sure that we look after them? Ask them. (laughs) (laughs) I think, what do you need? They'll tell you. We found, you know, and we found this in Wales and in many other systems. When you ask the students, they tell you what they need and they know so well. And so will teachers. When you ask them beyond the union question, they will tell you what they need. But uh, I think that teachers have become trusted professionals, whether the press can say whatever they can say. But, you know, how your minister is there trying to maintain schools open, trying to do the best for schools, trying to have all the resources for the teachers. Uh, you've established a, a, a web, the hub, that probably many other countries do not have, so that you've given the resources for teachers to be able to um, survive and thrive in this uncertain environment. So you've prepared them. They've, well, they've prepared themselves you should give them a hand for that, first of all, <laughs> you know, and, you know, congratulate for a move that was so quick and so bold, and it could have taken 10 years. Mm-hmm. If, if the government would have come in and, okay, we're going to move into a virtual environment. First of all, everybody would be in the streets. Second of all, teachers would go home and say, I'm not doing it, and would quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Students would as well. Fourth, the technology wouldn't work. And it would have been a disaster. And within a week or two weeks of the spring break, everybody was ready. Now, primary school teachers are going to a meeting because next week they're going back. And you've adapted very well in a way that in the future, this trust will remain that you're able to do this quickly. And I think that you can help smoothing the you know, the need to shift quickly by, by having like the practice ready for them. Okay, so we're on this journey. Our school is moving here, but we need to be ready in case this happens or this. So we always need to have a plan B. This is Norway. Apparently, when they moved to uh, online, they all were supposed to um, have an emergency plan all schools had to so they were ready when when COVID came they just moved to their emergency plan so kind of have a plan b that at least you feel sure that you're not like oh my god something happened we have no clue what to do so 
and involve the teachers as much as possible. I think they're burnt out because they're teaching and teaching and you may need to create some space for those who are extra tired to replace each other voluntarily if they can in some courses, give them some scope that they feel that they can breathe. And I'm sure that if you ask them, they may come up voluntarily with their own, you know, I'm willing to give an hour this week if you replace me next week in something. And I'm willing to join your class to see how you're doing because you're struggling so much with the IT or help you, I don't know, establish. I'm sure you already have a culture of collaboration, but in this environment, a helpline in a way, <laughs> people can, can help each other and, and give them, I guess, faith for the future. <laughs> Yes, I'm interesting. Um, Jeremy's put in the chat, no more snow days. I am worried about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That was a really positive point to um, to finish there, really. I will just, you've answered this question, but I just want to say it because it fits in perfectly with what you're just talking about, really. Um, it's about the fact that, you know, at the moment, we're at a really exciting point in Wales with a new curriculum, with all the changes going on. It is, you know, it's, it's exciting to be a leader in Wales at the moment. I certainly feel that. But we've had lots of different reforms in the past. We've had the Learning Country 2002. We've had the Vision into Action, all these things. And I think the question that was asked previously was, um, you know, how can we be confident that this current reform will have the, you know, a, a really positive impact, if you like, more positive than previous ones. But you've said that, haven't you? Times are different now. And I think what we need, the key to all this, and somebody put it in the, tra- in the chat before, that we still have that trust, that that trust that's developed through all of this needs to remain. Mm. If you agree. Yes. Yeah, I think that's very, very important. And that you need to work to to continue building that trust. I think that's something that you cannot forget. And let's hope that a new government would bring in a new uh, minister that is supportive of the journey that you're in and gives you the trust, maintains the trust. I think if you can do something through the Leadership Academy, through the Association of Principals to kind of smoothen the transition and, and give the demonstrate the trust that they that you have earned to them so that they don't want to come in and change everything because that's the big risk i think yeah, yeah i totally sudden, you're right you I have think a, yeah yeah a new election a new government and and a new change that's different so then it may be different i mean and i think every new government wants to have their stamp in something but they can have it within the current yeah. So, so to oh, thank you so much, Beatrice. I, I honestly, I can't thank you enough for this morning. And I know we've changed things last minute, but we really do appreciate it. It's been really, really interesting. Can I ask you now just to make your closing remarks just before we finish? Um, is that okay? Yes, well, it's been a, a pleasure, and I, I, you've given me some very technical questions that I couldn't answer that are really about the individual practices at the school level that you can use, then I'll see if there's something that I can share with you. But overall, I think, I guess it is a very difficult moment, but it has also given the opportunity 
to test out things, to try out things without being assessed for them, actually, because it, it's given you the space to, but it's also given you stress, I think, and, and anguish and in a time of uncertainty. That this uncertainty is something that may remain. So it's important that you learn how to handle it, that you, you know, develop the, the skills of your school to handle it. And I think that you were raising yourselves positive practices that the government should do. And why would you want to wait for the government to do them if you have space to try them out yourselves? So, you know, this community engagement, valuing what you have, um, exploring new ways that you will be able to do with the curriculum for Wales, with the space that it will give you, you know, within the guidelines that you have at the national level is something that may enthuse your school your students and and give you you know a, a positive outlook in the future so for me it's a good moment i understand that it will be hard because you have a new curriculum to develop and it's kind of a a, a, a big change in the way that you're supposed to adapt the curriculum so you find the right support find the right resources at least for the first years so that you all this curriculum making isn't very difficult for you. Make sure you contact your consortia and, and have it ready for your teachers. And I know that you're very good at this, bringing together committees and getting your teachers involved and thinking about how this curriculum will look like in your school, but test it out before, you know, get, get practice it so that when it comes, you have the confidence that you're, you are on the road. And I think I just want to, that, that would be the focus for me is to hone your skills for leading in times of change, you know, by having the right processes in place to adapt quickly to, to short-term shocks and um, build your confidence on this with uh, having the right support outside and the right networks uh, and all the support that the government can give you, the consortia can give you, other schools can give you, and international practice can give you. So that would be the, the, my um, summary statement. Thank you very much. And I wish you the best. I, um, I really enjoy working with Wales and with a passion that people in Wales engage in education reform because it's something that I think it's close, so close to your heart on, on building Wales. And that's why there's been so much, you know, engagement and I, that, for me, that will be very important is not to erode, you know, the excitement and the engagement in the future with the curriculum uh, for Wales. So, so you will need to keep at it and, and practice it. And then one of the things will be to share good practice uh, outside so that people understand what's working well. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be with you today. Gobeithio'n eich bod wedi mwyn hair bennod hon o bodlediad yr Academy Arwynyddiaeth. Tan ysgrifiwch ar Spotify, podlediadau Apple neu Google a pheidiwch byth â cholli pennod. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership Academy podcast. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts and never miss an episode.